listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast UK, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Rob Wall. I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'm your host. Um, welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by another four leaders in the information security world to discuss diversity and inclusion in security. Before we delve into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Bronwyn, do you want to kick us off with a quick introduction? Yeah, thanks a million for having me, Robert. Uh, delighted to be here. I'm Bronwyn Boyle. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Mambu. We're a cloud-based uh, banking platform. Bronwyn. Chris? Uh, thanks, Rob. Yeah, Chris Cooper. I'm the um, Cybersecurity Practice Director at 60 Green. Chris? Moses? Yeah, hi. I'm Moses Alatiba. I'm, I'm with MSCI. I'm the Deputy Chief, uh, Deputy CISO for MSCI. We're an index provider. So. And uh, finally, Inga. Uh, hello. So my name is Inga Shorno, and I'm the Head of Information Security at Tandem Bank at the moment, and we are a digital challenger bank. Fantastic. Okay, now we're all introduced. We'll move on to the topic in question. So you all have a question or statement on diversity, inclusion and security. Uh, as usual, I work around the room asking you to pose your questions and the reasons behind it. Uh, so each of you will have an opportunity to give your take on the situation. So um, we'll get started with, with Moses. Uh, Moses, trying to pose your question to the table, please? Yeah. So look, I mean, my question is really, I, I think it's something that's been affecting the, the, the industry for a while. So I want to know, what, what, um, what, how do we change the culture? around diversity and inclusion within the industry. How does, you know, a culture, there's a lot of initiatives ongoing around diversity and inclusion, but how do we actually go deep and change the culture of firms, of people, of teams, of industry around, you know, diversity and inclusion? And the reason I ask that question is that, you know, there's a lot of initiatives around transformation, around diversity and inclusion, and some people are doing it from a, a PR purpose. Some people are actually actively trying to transform. But for people that are truly trying to transform, how do they get from where they are now and, and embed it as part of their culture? Inga, we'll come to you first. Um, sure. So I would probably say that it's the promotion of the message that I think we need to maybe get, get alignment of, because um, you're right, it is something that has... Um, I guess a lot of audience, a lot of conversations, but um, I think if we don't don't promote that message and, and be a little bit more descriptive, what we mean and you know what does it actually mean to be in cybersecurity and what it what it actually means to be a diverse team in the cybersecurity space, um, you know I think I think we will challenge to achieve that because um, a lot of people have approached me and said, um, you know, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get into the field. Uh, I don't have the relevant experience. Um, and I think if if people are asking me this question, it's possible that a lot more people are thinking this question. So I think we need to, uh, you know, we need to have a bit of, of promotion of message here that really there are multiple ways in and, and we need to be open to support those multiple ways in. I think that would be my sort of first stance. Okay. Thanks again. Chris, we'll go to you. Yeah, no, I agree with Inga in terms of the language and visibility is a big thing. Um, now there's a huge variety of different roles in cybersecurity, and I think often that may not recognise. Um, now a lot of people think it's just about sitting in a SOC or it's just about you know, producing consultancy reports. There's, there's you know, a vast range of different things. It's probably one of the widest fields. Um, so that's one of the messages to get out there. The new entry piece, is, as Inga was saying, is uh, we, we've historically been known as kind of an, an area that's very difficult to get into. Um, there's been some improvements there over the last few years, but there's still a way to go. But it's also about those you know, um, people further into their careers as well, wanting to move into security or you know, they may have been out of the security field for a while. How do we get them back in again? 
um, that you know, there's lots of different pieces we need to pull together um, and we need to do it in a way that is you know, provides that inclusive language. I think it's, I've seen it called a demystify, demystify the profession, the career. I, I quite like that word because it's possible there's quite a few associations and how you said about perception. Um, it is pretty key and sometimes it's not directly the people wanting to work in the field or already working in the field, is those around them? that could maybe give that wrong wrong perception. Absolutely, yeah, and that's, that's some of the terminology we use, like all the military language and that can you know, put some people off because you know, they don't want to join the army. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think Chris is right, actually. You know, the, the demystifying piece is, is really important because everybody assumes that when you come into cybersecurity, everything you do in cybersecurity is super technical. They forget that there's a governance element. There's a, um, you know, th th there's so many elements to cybersecurity that's really not technical. So Im immediately people's mindset is, hey, you've got to be super technical. You've got to understand this. But there's a process piece. There's the governance piece. There's the research piece. There's quite a lot of pieces that I don't feel people necessarily, and as you said at the beginning, it's about education, right, Brian? You see, the educate people give them you know spread the word a little bit more I, I think it's really important in order to demystify a lot of the kind mm -hmm. of conceptions and, and things that people think already I, th I think if I could just add one more thing I, I do feel somewhat optimistic because I see the, the government and you know the National Cybersecurity Center they're they're doing quite a few initiatives in fact I will be honest, I was a bit surprised because I wasn't necessarily staying on top of them, but there's quite a few initiatives promoting uh, younger talent, especially young females, to, to look into the area and grow that interest and, uh, you know, keep them inspired. So there's definitely good progress there um, and, and the motivation is there. But um, I completely agree with you. I'm one of the examples. I don't have a technical background. And when when sort of I got in the field, people asked me how I did that because it's just I, I studied psychology. That's what I majored in. Uh, and that's just to show how how useful it can be in cybersecurity space, how you can approach approach that thinking. So I'm I'm an example of where that worked. You just have to take the risk a bit. <laughs> that's the fear element there. Yeah, your thoughts, Brahman? Uh, very resonant uh, with with and, and agree very 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 much with with the points that have gone before. And I, I think a couple of points spring to mind. I think that piece around promotion and and you know demystifying and amplifying the diversity of disciplines that fall under the umbrella of cyber is so important. And I'm not sure you know whether we're targeting that at the right population. So if you you know how do we make STEM subjects accept uh, more more attractive to a more diverse population in school, for instance, or in education. How do we look at kind of trying to drive cybersecurity as kind of something attractive as a career opportunity for younger people in their career path, so that they're open to that panoply of different experiences and opportunities that and that, that they they can bring a more diverse portfolio to. I mean, it was funny we remember the. Um, that government ad back in 2020, you know, Fatima the ballerina retraining in cyber, you know, and I think, you know, on the one hand, we were like, you know, it's great that that type of message is going out there. And the second, it was a real missed opportunity, really, because I mean, it wasn't in any way kind of, in my mind, kind of doing much to actually dispel some of the myths around cyber and really kind of engage and entice a, a broader, a broader kind of population and demographic into the field. So I think that that I that I, I very much align with 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 that point. I think the other key point for me as well is around kind of barriers to entry. I mean, you know, Moses, you're spot on. It's you know, it's it can be perceived, and Chrissy mentioned this as a very difficult discipline to get into. Inga, as you rightly say, you know, when you trust people and you have a slightly more open-minded approach to bringing people in, in fact, you know, cross-section transferable skills make you make you the ideal candidate for this career. 
Um, but I think if we're looking still at kind of mainstream recruitment processes, they still can be very traditional. They can still be very much focused around um, certifications or degrees or things that really, really kind of um, put a higher barrier to entry, particularly for uh, candidates from uh, a different socio-demographic and economic background. So I think there's more that we need to do around looking at alternative um, entry points and career paths to support people from diverse backgrounds to really get the foot in the ladder and get the experience and exposure they need by a less traditional route. Yeah, there's some work going on, I think, from the Cyber Security Council to try and bring those paths together. But obviously, that's early days. They've only been around for what, six, 12 months. So, so. Um, I think I've also seen, um, and that's probably a little bit sadder from a like a neurodiversity perspective. So we're, th we're thinking specifically for analytical skills, those those individuals really are prone to be doing really, really well. But it's possible the education system is, is somewhat failing them somewhat. And then maybe we don't even have access to them in the job market. But and it's it's a sad thought, perhaps, to think that individuals like that, uh, you know, could be could be an amazing addition to the team, but we just don't have access to them. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a super valid point. And I think the other question as well is on the inclusion side, if they come into the workforce, is there that supportive environment that will allow people flourish and, you know, uh, you know, adapt and, and kind of, you know, without imposing a particular stereotype of behaviour on them that, that is counter to, to their to their way of way of working and way of being. Well, I, I think you both touched on two things that I think is really important to the whole uh, creating a culture of diversity, equity and inclusion in, in, in the industry, right? One, one is to go out and meet people or recruit people where they are. The, the second piece is around um, mentorship, right? So continued mentorship throughout their whole uh, their, their time with the firm or throughout their whole process of onboarding, you know, their, their, their lifetime at work and things like that. So I think those two things, as well as the education piece that, that you talked on at the beginning around, making sure that we are educating people in the right way. And then the, the other piece, which I really found interesting was the analytical piece that you talked about. Are, are edu is, is the education system actually geared to producing the right people? Right, or and, and making sure that those people are from diverse backgrounds, uh, different genders, and, and those type of things. Are, is the system doing that, or is the system just keeping up with the status quo of hey, you need to be super technical and 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 know ABC before you can actually come to this field? You have to wonder if the kind of at the careers sort of level at schools and things, whether they're being given that opportunity. And at universities, we're probably better at engaging with them but at that school level where we perhaps mm. want to catch people for apprenticeships and things like that do they do they know about those opportunities yeah i, th I think you're right I, th I think school levels are, are not necessarily geared for this kind of stuff so i, I think things are improving from a university level things i think the change in the way cybersecurity courses are delivered or non-cybersecurity and the crossover from non-cyber degrees or computing degrees to cybersecurity is is I think it's on is it's on, you know it's a trend that's now you know moving upward. So I think there's a change there. I think well as you said from the apprenticeship level, I'm not sure that we're doing enough. I think the schools are doing anything to promote security at high school level even. You know, is it is it is it a career path that people even think about when they're at that stage? Because I know most most people I know that they want to be a YouTuber or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> well precisely they want to be that that influencer but again it's, it's the same like when you know we what you work for a bank it's like well financial education educating your young people on you know how to do their basic finances etc um you know use of technology is such an enabler 
and it's such a big part in you know in people's lives that having those conversations around security and you know what you can do in that space could be like a nice a nice joined up i think uh, I know a couple of companies that do sort of education campaigns. They have their buses, but again, they're talking about financial products. You know, let's teach the youth to manage their finances. Yeah. Well, you know, can we can we piggyback and say mm. how to manage those finances securely, uh, and what does that mean from a from, from a global ecosystem perspective? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And it's interesting. So um, my stepdaughter was, uh, you know, I would talk to her every now and then about kind of cybersecurity. And she would say, oh, we're learning that kind of in school. And I kind of explore, you know, what, what are you touching on? A lot of it was it was more in the kind of staying safe online, but more from a bullying or a grooming or kind of these are really important topics, but they're it's only a small piece of the puzzle. And there's it's kind of a, 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 a quite quite a narrow um, a narrow focal point for something that could be a platform for a much broader discussion around career options and career paths. And those intersections, Inga, as you say, with financial literacy and digital literacy. So I think there's a huge opportunity there to tap in. You know, if you're producing engaging content, you can use those touch points and learning opportunities as a way of also amplifying the, the career the career pathways. Okay, great. Um, okay, Inga, we'll come to you next for your question. Uh, thank you. Yes. So my question was really try to maybe probe and understand what is the difference uh, between diversity and inclusion and, and really are we making equal effort to improve both? And I think the reason why I ask this is because I see some good steps in terms of diversity uh, and I'm seeing perhaps somewhat questionable efforts in terms of inclusivity and, and that behavior. And I just yeah, wanted to get your opinion as if that's something you know you are observing as well okay no problem come to you and so so that that's a very resonant question Inga. i mean i think um so the way i see it and it's probably fairly basic but i kind of see diversity is the what and and inclusion is the how so diversity is you know how is your what 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 is your workplace comprised of how, you know, how are you getting a kind of a, a good representative uh, group of individuals who are fully representative of the society that we that we represent and the, the customers that we sell to and, and, and indeed the makeup of our teams. Inclusion is then making sure those individuals can all bring themselves to work in their, you know, be their best selves, be authentic and in, in, in a supportive environment where they don't feel excluded for any way. And I think um, I think, you know, the first element has had a lot more focus, I think, than than the second in my in my view. Um, you know, I think, you know, speaking as a woman in security and, and I'm sure you'll have gone through the same challenges and we should swap notes on that. You know, I, I have had those kind of very frank conversations about, you know, getting you in the door. What's less kind of there's no follow up, shall we say, or rarely a follow up. So there, you know, I literally had one of these conversations today with, with another group where we we're talking about, you know, you're the only woman in the room. And how does that feel like? And, and is there anything that's done to kind of address that or make you feel less discomforted, I guess? And, and I would say, you know, there's not a lot being done there. And I think there's a real worry that we lose, um, you know, minority groups in leadership roles because there is less done around inclusion and, and, and that sticking sticking kind of factor maybe isn't necessarily there to keep them through times of adversity. So I think it's a very, very important question to ask. And I think those retention stats and I think the the, the kind of the, the focus on what does our environment look like, cultural engagement surveys, mechanisms to really surface how how people are feeling in, in, in the workplace become of paramount importance to get that mirror held up to your company and make sure that you're you're actually walking the walk when it comes to it. Chris? Yeah, I obviously agree with everything Bromwell said there. Um, I, I think, you no, know, from a diversity perspective, 
there has been a lot done there, but I do think a lot of companies have been too focused on specific elements of diversity rather than the, the broader piece. I think there's still more work to be doing there. Um, but as you say, when you go into the inclusion piece, it's uh, when you start to look at how long do you manage to keep those people in there that career space it it goes it dwindles off after several years um and that's a, a problem that we we still seem to be struggling to address is getting people to stay in the industry when they come in um particularly from a, a minority but no not entirely um and that's the that's that inclusion piece so that are you getting that equal opportunities both in terms of being involved in everything and being your best self as you said versus but also the you know the career progression promotions and being considered in the same way as everyone else. Um, and I think companies are a lot further behind with that piece. Um, no, but there's some exceptions out there and no, that's great that they're, they're pushing the boundaries there, um, but it's um, certainly something that hasn't been as focused as diversity. Has. Interesting. Moses, your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think I agree with both of you that there's been a lot of focus on, on diversity. Uh, and I do believe that there is still some work to do around that. Uh, the inclusion piece is definitely, um, has taken a backseat. In, in, in many ways, because, you know, we, they want to get people in the door, people want to come in the door, once they're in, there is really sometimes there's no progression plan, there's no acceleration plans. Um, so sometimes, you know, people come in and they feel really energized and ready to go, but then they feel unincluded. So, you know, we need to pay detailed attention to, to, the, um, or to the inclusive piece. I'm not sure that companies are doing that as much. I think the diversity piece for sure, people are really focused on it. But as Chris said, I still think there's a long way to go to look at it from an ethnicity, gender, age, sexual orientation, socioeconomic kind of status background and then the inclusion you know are people feeling valued do they feel like they can bring their authentic self from from an inclusion point of view to work can they do they feel like they can be themselves and then are they active are we actively managing their careers with them because people feel empowered and included when they feel like they can be part of the decision making process they're they're able to kind of scale up the ladder so so i do think the inclusion piece requires a lot more work than the diverse piece, but the diverse piece is by no stretch of the imagination, we're not there. Yes, I would agree. I think to add, um, and again, I was thinking about it, that the way to promote inclusion is to bring diversity. So you bring people through the door, then you help to build those strategies. But I continue to observe some behaviors that I really dislike. And even to, to this day, and perhaps this this is your banking world, I don't know, I've only been in finance, um, but I, I do see those sort of typical behaviors of not very um, sort of aware communication. There, there are some some best practices that everybody can start to learn. But I think when, when it becomes about self-awareness and how you communicate, are you an active listener? When it comes to your personal change, I think people either don't have the time or don't have the energy to actually look at that because that's looking into yourself. If you are a manager and you're, for example, you're leading um, a meeting, is everybody equally participating? Um, you know, just the other day I was in a meeting and two people were talking and the other six were listening. So how, how is that inclusivity? And, and that's really difficult because it takes to look into yourself to say, do I actually know what behaviors 
would mean I'm being inclusive. And yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, Inga. And it's also interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, there'll be degrees of kind of introversion or extroversion, which will which will influence people's willingness to participate vocally. But they may be very happy to provide offline content, written you know in a written format, or contribute in some other way where they're where they're less in the spotlight. And you know, are they given those opportunities? Are they given those chances? I think that's a that's a a really interesting point. And I think your 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 question around kind of are there specific industries where there, there, there might be great exemplars of how to do this right. Are there other industries that are maybe are have a further journey to go, shall we say, before we get this right? And how do we how do we address that imbalance? It's 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 interesting. I mean, coming from a financial services background myself, I again I I I I feel your pain <laughs> to a certain extent. And I think you know it's going to be interesting because I think the new workforce is going to drive a lot of change by necessity. I mean, I think what we're seeing is there's a very different mindset in you know, and Gen Z and kind of, you know, the new 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 pipeline of talent that's coming through where they they just won't accept some of those legacy behaviors. Um so I'm 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 wondering are we going to see some interesting um interesting inflection points, shall we say, as <laughs> culture clashes kind of manifest. <laughs> yeah. I think we're definitely heading for a culture clash for sure. I, th I think we're 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 on our way there. Um you know, and 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 it's, it resonates with me that you say that the newer generation are probably not going to accept it. I think we can already see some of those by the movement in the market of people, right? Like the constant yeah. changing of roles and the lack of long-term loyalties to companies. Whereas before, you know, people in certain roles were there for two, three years. Now people are well. If I don't agree with your with your diversity and inclusion strategy, then I'm walking away. That yeah. that kind of attitude, right? And Gonna go find somewhere where I'm. We, should, we can appreciate it's very difficult to build cybersecurity maturity when you have such change of of people. I'm. Yeah. I feel like all I'm doing is just recruiting my team, uh, and I keep on saying, uh, when I'm asked, also, when, when can we when can we achieve the level of maturity that we want? And you're like, I don't know, a couple of years, depending if the team is there. You're like, I, you know, you shouldn't be having to say this because. Um, but it becomes very much prime, you know, your primary focus to to get to get the talent in and try to. Do it. Mm, I think the flip so, side of it is it's a, oh sorry sorry Chris go. Sorry. I was going to say at the same time it's a positive thing that people are standing up for you know what they believe and exactly. holding companies to account because you know some of the behaviours you talked about uh, you know, are so legacy that and they really shouldn't be around anymore. But no one's been forcing them to kind of change. And you know, I think we've got to the point where the people who are willing and happy to change are, have mostly done that. And you've got the people who either don't even appreciate that they're doing something that's causing a problem or they just don't want to change. And you know, we need to kind of push through that barrier. Mm. And I think to that point, Chris, as well, you know, it, it's been heartening to see uh you know those in the moment episodes where people are challenging behaviors you know what i mean much more overtly much more vocally and much more confidently and in a gentle way in a you know hopefully assuming that it is a lack of awareness rather than anything malicious but giving people the opportunity to kind of be be, be corrected but in a, in a in a in a kind of psychologically safe, safe way and that that will become a you know i think that will become a real um, point of differentiator for for you know 
um, employers of choice. Stuff, good stuff. Fantastic. Okay, well, Bronwyn, we'll uh, come to you for your question. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, this has been a fascinating exploration of, of the challenges, and I think we all recognise that you know we need to do more. I guess I, I'm really passionate about seeing where there are opportunities for us to collaborate across across industry and kind of drive forward kind of you know more joined up efforts you know we've talked about academia we've talked about you know uh, commercial areas about universities uh, you know what what cross industry initiatives are you seeing that is you know bringing people together to, to really move the dial on this um, and what are your thoughts on, on on how effective those initiatives are Chris we'll go to you first oh yeah um, so there's a, a whole raft of organizations out there working on this now which which is good I'm not sure they're so working together which is not so good um but now some examples obviously you know the British Computer Society they've got um specialist groups set up so they've got one for LGBTQ plus they've got women in technology they've got a neurodiversity group so you know you've got sort of the, the industry level type pieces. Um, and then you've got things like, I always get the name wrong, but I think it's Unicorns in Tech or Tech Unicorn or something like that. And, um, so yeah, there, there's lots of organisations out there. The challenge is always, of course, you, know, you can't connect with everything. <laughs> so which ones do you focus on? And uh, I think that's that's the big challenge. First thing, go to you. Um, yes, I think if just to support, perhaps for me, it's just you're always thinking the women in cyber networking events uh, and you know participation a lot in that space, um, I think would sort of be my my primary thing that I'm observing um, a lot and, and being... And, and of course, your, your mainstream um, sort of security events and conferences and... Um, there are still effective platforms um, to go and participate and try to promote those messages because, you know, that will then bring further agendas. Um, yes, I, I would say, you see, the, the, the lack of my or sort of in-depth knowledge of what could be happening cross-sector just says how much you need to deep dive and research to find that in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the time and energy, you're a little bit stuck unless you, bes you know, bespokely look into this. So I'm here to learn from you. Yeah, no, I think I think the British Computing Society is doing a, 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 a you know sterling job of trying to create some of these kind of environments and and groups to you know like you know diversity group for example. I think it's it's really at their one, but I still believe that a lot of things are left to like you know industry events like you said you know such as you know infosec and and those and, and those type of events right so. And there is a, a lack of kind of um, what I would call awareness as to what's happening and where is it happening? What's the strategy? What are people doing around it? So there is that kind of lack of awareness where I feel that maybe other industries have that. It's more publicized what they're doing, how they're doing it, when they're doing it, where you can get those levels of information that really impact you. Not necessarily general information, but kind of more focused information. So I, th I think the cyber industry is suffering a little bit from a, a lack of coordination of that, right? And bringing those things together, therefore the information is not readily available. Mm. So I, I it's think really interesting. Oh, yeah, no, I, was, I was just going to say it's really interesting because again, you, you've echoed why I was asking the question, which is I, I tend to come across, across initiatives by happenstance. You know, I talk to somebody and they mention something, and I'm like, oh, that sounds brilliant, but I would love to find something that's a bit more consolidated and a bit more coordinated that has you know lots of different you know brings together all the different types of initiatives that are going on, along. I mean, it's been great to see things like Caps Lock and those other kind of bootcamp type approaches around reskilling and retraining, you know, people from different backgrounds. Um, similarly, I've been talking to a few communities, Inga 
particularly around kind of retention of women in tech and you know how can you if you take if women have taken time out or, or anybody has taken time out to be carers or have a family you know how do you support them re-entering the cyber world when things move so quickly and it can be really intimidating if there's a whole new paradigm of security that is you know not what you left it as right so I, 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 my, my gut feel is there's a lot of good stuff happening, but I, I sense an opportunity here for us to do a little bit more to try and surface that and, and bring it to a, an audience in a more coordinated way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I, I, I don't think it's coordinated at the moment. But, but again, look, I, I think it's just a reflection of the industry, right? Is that we, we, it's a very, it's a fast moving technology industry, but a slow kind of progressing industry when it comes to giving out certain types of information that's really you know the the, the motto of how, how the, the cybersecurity industry is always operated right and then you know if you kind of make that even more difficult by either being in finance which is really difficult anyway or or you know whereas i feel like government agencies in some cases actually have a better hold on this kind of stuff and, and the private companies have less of a hold on it um, and i think you know and this is something i just just thought of as well looking at the model where you bring specific expertise as a service. So let's say you then don't necessarily build a diverse team in-house, but you're utilizing these services. And those, those services, of course, gather and attract specific talent, even perhaps specific personality types, etc. So that could be a way to build that diversity, but then you know that would feel and look very different if you're trying to promote your core company values because these these people are essentially providing you a service. So I think maybe we need to watch the space and I think that the way we work could also shift. At least that's what I'm observing. So I don't necessarily have or have ever been given a big team and I really heavily rely on these external sort of services, testing as a service um, and, and everything comes out these days as a service. So I think we need to watch the space. That could be the big difference. Yeah, but uh, I, I do think, though, with, with the way things are going with corporate responsibility, you can actually hold a lot of these service providers accountable now going forward, you know, and say, hey, here is, as part of, you know, signing our contract, here's our corporate responsibility ex expectations from you to be more diverse, to, you know, include more people, make sure that you're recruiting from this number of, you know, gender, ethnicity, you know, you could use the kind of corporate responsibility of old to to hold them accountable from that but, but I, I agree with you it is more difficult where everything's outsourced everything's a service yeah so Moses can I ask can I ask you a tricky question here because what yeah, you're sure. kind of really resonating with me so who do you think in the organization would be responsible to promote that we consider this thing before working with a service provider working with a supplier or do you think it's everybody's responsibility I appreciate it's another question but but this is so <laughs> relevant um on a day-to-day -day when you're you know, yeah, so, yeah I, th I think, look, like you said, one is everybody's question, but somebody has to own it and somebody has to be responsible for it. And typically it would be the procurement team. The procurement team should work with the corporate responsibility to understand and deliver the values of the firm. So at my current company, MSCI, we have made sure that from a corporate responsibility point of view, the procurement team understands where the firm wants to be from a corporate responsibility point of view. And as part of that, we will ask you, uh, you know, different types of questions. I'm not necessarily saying we ask you diversity questions or, and things like that, but what happens is that we create a framework for ensuring that the service levels meet some of our you know core values no. and what we want to be and what we want to you know make sure that our service providers are, are, are doing so we may say hey uh, do you you know how many women are on your board how many uh what's the representation of women at your firm 
we will ask you questions around your net zero carbon footprints, all those type of things, right? Because we have a very strong carbon footprint, net zero kind of um, mm-hmm. drive within our firm. Therefore, we use that opportunity to ask you the question. And, you know, what you probably find with cybersecurity now, with a lot of these RFPs that are coming in asking questions, they will ask you those questions now going forward. Well, what are you doing about this? What is your stance on this? They don't necessarily, you know, I don't think we're at the point where people are really, um, you know, making that a make or break decision for their contracts. But I think we're not that far away from it. Okay. Yeah, I think just to add to that, I mean, I think it's been very interesting seeing more mandatory reporting coming through in regulation around um, environmental, social and governance qualities and, 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 and statistics. Um, and certainly that's something that, you know, my company, Mambu, is looking at, you know, in, in, in our reporting, you know, we are exactly, Moses, having to provide those stats on diversity, on our carbon footprint, on, you know, environmental impacts, uh, our governance approach, etc. And, you know, it's becoming more and more of a differentiator, I think, particularly if you're looking at kind of um, investment decisions, you know, these factors are now becoming part of standard doing business. So much in the same way as we had to fight to get our cybersecurity stuff included in procurement processes years ago, I think we're now looking at that new realm of, of you know, n- now it's just becoming part of business as usual to look at ESG metrics as well. Yeah, yeah Sitting on a service provider end, I can tell you that there's, you know, RFPs can have huge amounts of requirements in them. Mm. Depends on the company very much, but it can be everything from ethics to diversity to your environmental piece. Um, but it's generally about proving that or demonstrating that you've got policies and processes in place, um, not necessarily about the outcomes. Yeah. Um, so that that's where we are today. <laughs> it's becoming more commonplace when when we take on new clients too. That you know the clients are looking to see that we're doing stuff from our end to promote candidates from all different pools, um, and and they're, they're keen to see. I suppose the the amount of um, I suppose the splits on our on our things and how we record it because it's it's a it's a scenario where. It's a, it's, a, it's a topic that's very difficult from our side of things to actually touch because you, in some cases, aren't you know, people aren't always comfortable discussing these things, you know. Um, especially, it's, it says it's something that's becoming definitely more common day to day when we're speaking to new clients now, definitely. I think yeah. also just to add on the, on the reporting, a quick one. Like, so Tandem Back actually will be running a, uh, like a survey in terms of like, you know, how how well you align with your personal identity in your work environment. So it, it will be definitely very interesting to see what what percentage of sort of satisfaction and you know how included I feel I am in the organization bearing in mind that we are mostly a remote organization now that's a big shift we were always office based um it will be interesting to see what numbers that will bring in terms of um, dealing Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, last but not least, we'll uh, come to you, you, Chris, for your question. Yeah. So, so mine's a bit of a devil's advocate question. Um, so taking um, the fact June's Pride Month uh, as an example, I was wondering how much we think companies are genuinely investing in diversity and inclusion versus doing it for their image. Right? And using Pride Month as that example, now everybody changes their logo now to a rainbow logo. You go to the supermarket and there's no pride beer, pride this, pride that. Uh, it's uh, and, and it, as a kind of um, security person who you know it tends to take a, a slightly uh, negative view of the world, <laughs> it's uh, a less trusting view of the world. Then it's kind of like, how genuine do we think companies actually are? Moses, come to you. Yeah, look, uh, some companies are taking it seriously. And, and, and they're actively trying to transform. Other companies are simply conforming as a public relations exercise, right? So I, I have to agree with you on that, that some people are just doing that. But for many organizations, uh, workforce diversity is a challenge anyway, whether it's in 
cybersecurity or any other industry, right? And I, I do feel that um, we are in an era where sometimes people have not had a, you know, the thought process around the initiatives they want to run or the things they want to support is not deep, right? It's very much a, a public relations exercise in, in, in most cases. And companies that do really do it well focus on excelling. And, and they, they, those companies are very quick to admit that they're not there. They, 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 you know, they're currently crawling rather than walking or running, right? But companies that tell you, I'm, I'm always weary of companies that run. Basically, if they're running, you know, and considering you know the subject is pretty new, it's lightweight, it's not you know something that everybody is tackling. Companies that tell you they're running tend to tend to scare me. I'm a little bit like you, Chris. Um, but you know the, the i think company there, there is a lot of companies trying to transform there's no doubt about it but are they doing the right i think it goes back to something that you mentioned earlier Rani, is are they really really trying to make a change or or are they simply doing a tick box exercise in, in in many cases so i feel that um um in in the cyber industry I, I still think we're a little bit behind everybody else and in some cases we're probably jumping on the bandwagon and going oh yeah where this where that look, the women's representation in cyber is still pretty low compared to other parts of the industry right so but yet we want to claim that we're we're diverse and we're and we're there and you know we've got more women on our boards which is okay but i, I i'm not convinced that we're there it's a funny one because i i i kind of the, the skeptic dose of cynicism i think is 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 well understood but i i have to say i, I think maybe i i i certainly in the past maybe misjudged how important just kind of the representation and being being felt to be seen and heard and acknowledged as a as an underrepresented minority kind of how impactful that can be on people and and women's women in tech is a great example Moses I mean I was always a little bit skeptical and kind of like you know come on can I just be a person in tech and you know we can have a kind of a random conversation and I and, and it's probably only in the last few years where I've really realized that actually there are other women maybe who I wouldn't have thought this about, but who, who maybe felt more inhibited in their career because they felt they were the only woman in the room or they didn't see role models kind of paving a path that they felt they could follow. And, and I, I, I had a bit of an, an, an enlightened moment where I kind of went, you know what, it is important to advocate. It is important, you know, even if it is accused of being bandwagony or even if it looks that way, actually it may still make a difference. And, you know, again, even on the LinkedIn side of things, it was really interesting to see Quite a few people coming out during Pride saying, you know, I would never normally talk about my sexuality in a work context, but actually I feel okay now to do that. And you kind of go, wow, you know, you've been living your life with only part of you brought to work. And the fact that you don't need to do that now is great. So even even if people are are doing it kind of for cynical reasons, I would like to think it has a positive impact. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I think for me, I see two I see two things here. But again, I'm sort of talking about tandem bag specifically here. Um, our people, people team, people function have really, really been making a lot of effort um, through the years. Um, I've seen amazing initiatives, like really, really doing their best. So I would say there is hand to heart, uh, you know, honest work involved in trying to promote um, to promote those behavior, those mes those messages and that diversity. But this is where my issue is. Uh, it's the people. <laughs> it's again, the people in the organization. And where we are in our journey at the moment, everybody is massively overworked and we are lacking resources across different departments. And then the people teams uh, schedule a lunch and learn around these topics or even about uh, mindful communication, which would essentially make you much better in promoting inclusivity. 
And when you connect to those, only one third of the organization joins. Uh, and then there's another lunch and learn or Thursdays we have like a, a group wide stand up. And again, you can do some updates. You can sort of do a bit of educational campaigns. Again, you're looking at maybe perhaps three-fourths, sometimes two-fourths of the organization join in. Mm -hmm. So if the effort is being placed to, you know, to do the right work, to to really increase those behaviors and a bit of self-awareness of how can you make a difference, and one-third of the organization joins into that, well, I sometimes sit and shake my head. And then my information security team, I'm not logged in. (laughs) I'm like, boy, guys. You know, why, why, why didn't you hop onto this? And this is, this is why it's, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening, but it is happening even within our own teams where people don't necessarily have full interest. They don't join in and you almost have to challenge a little bit and say, well, you know, you're part of a bigger picture here. Uh, you know, you need to, you need to, part- well, you can't make them participate, but you see my point, encourage mm-hmm. the participation because some, some teams and people are really putting a lot of effort into this and we're mm-hmm. not. We're not quite hopping on that wagon. It does seem to get pushed from the top in some cases, and it's it's not a message that's always not so much not well, not welcomed, but it's, it's it's something that I suppose people feel that they're they're in they're doing their job. So you know, I've I've well, it's, 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 it's been the focus on people bringing bringing people in rather than focusing on the people who work there. Yeah, th- those those sort of campaigns are very good, and then you can really have a quick look how much of your you know senior executive team have joined into those talks in those conversations that are asking those questions. Uh, you know, I'm always on the lookout, did the CEO join, did, you know, and, and that's that's telling, I think. Yeah, no, no. I agree I agree with you that, you know, representation matters. It's, it's really important, whether that's a senior level, mid-level, junior level, right? It's, it's really important because, uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you from a from an ethnicity point of view, when people see people like themselves, they're encouraged, they feel empowered, they feel that they can actually do something and they don't, they don't see such barriers because they see it as if that person can get there, why can't I get there? And then I think the other piece that, that you know, it's up on there is about senior leadership representation on these forums and at these events. It encourages people to, you know, one, attend, and they might learn something from attending, right? Yeah. So okay. so I, I I think that the representation from senior leadership is important. And, you know, um, you know at, at MSCI, our approach is very much from, top down where you know the senior leadership are very visible they're very kind of involved um so so that's the approach and i think look it, it does encourage people but but i still i still feel like you know i, I think the biggest for me the, the biggest mover for those kind of changes is representation which is what you clicked and ran it is it's actually seen someone that's been there and done it or they might be the only person there but they've been there and done it right yeah, I think it's the same. No, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. I've certainly been fortunate in the companies I've worked for that they have been very vocal about wanting to change. They're not so there, but they're they're making those pieces. Um, but um, I think they're all really good you know, uh, points you all made um, about uh, what we need to do and, and that kind of representation. I'm also always conscious that with diversity as well, there's, you know, there, there's some attributes to diversity that obviously are visual, and then there's others that are not and how do we make sure that we're getting that representation for that as well in a way that people know they're getting the representation especially with people Bobby, we, we have a number of candidates from neurodiverse backgrounds and they haven't always got the confidence to come forward themselves and you know we we have on occasions had phone calls from the parents just saying you know can you can you have a look at my um, my son's cv he's, he's really good and he'll, he'll code for you all day long but he won't he can't sit in a room and chat to people you know can, can you can you give him a chance and you know 
it's, it's great to get those opportunities to work with those people that actually place them out there because I'm sure that that's not the only type of person that just sitting there and they're fully capable. They just don't yeah. have the, you know, yeah. they don't have the ones to come forward, you know. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. You go. No, no, actually, you, yeah, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, Robert, that, that's a really valid point. And again, it's, it's really good to see different approaches now to recruitment rather than just the kind of CV and interview, doing coding tests, doing kind of more kind of, you know, doing tasks that let people shine in the way that they can shine best rather than putting them through something artificial that you know just will hinder them. Yes, and I wanted to to jump on that because I, I kept on meaning to bring this that the recruitment process. So um I personally went through through multiple different sort of recruitment processes and, and have seen pros and cons. And I think the one issue I had, and it was a couple of years ago when I was recruiting that um that the CEO had to uh, recruit every candidate uh, had to interview every candidate and and other different members of different teams and there was this almost first impression that you had to hit if you want to join the company which is so incorrect because i couldn't put through quite a few candidates that that i thought were very good because maybe they weren't cool enough or maybe they didn't particularly align with the company's strategy or wanted to be a customer like i i do see these types of behaviors and i think that's very restrictive so i always say Company culture is amazing, but if you're trying to really impose it on someone, that could be that could be very difficult. And I, I've seen that hands on when I was trying to build my team and I, I lost a number of very good candidates because they didn't pass the interview with with the culture team with the And that was very difficult for me because I had I had nothing to say. And um, so, yeah, so it's a double edged sword, isn't it? That one. Yeah. I mean, we, we've we've taken on campaigns before um, that have just been literally that we have to send the first batch has to be all diverse candidates from any of the pools. Don't send us anyone who's not in a diverse pool. And you think, well, you know, isn't that kind of going far too far the other way? Because ultimately, if if those people don't exist in in that particular skill set that you're looking for, then your job's not getting filled. You know, that's my job's to find the right person for your job. You know, and regardless of whether you know whichever pool they sit in you know um but it, it, it just became it, quite a lot age is a good one especially in a startup environment which is where i found myself i felt like the oldest person there and i felt oh goodness me i have nothing in common here and then when you start to recruit and you know you, you're almost like well we need young people we need social people that could be a bit restrictive yeah and actually it's interesting isn't it i mean i think uh just the last few weeks with cheryl sandberg moving on from 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 meta you know i mean she was the ultimate advocate for leaning in and you can have it all and you know there shouldn't be any limits to you, you know, because of your, you know, because of diversity issues. And now she's kind of saying, well, actually, ageism was really a thing, and that was that was probably one of the bigger bigger issues that she was tackling in in her later career. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point. Stuff, mm. fantastic, fantastic. Was any further points anyone would like to add before we wrap this up? Moses, you're on mute. Yeah. So, so my question is for, for for you guys is, in summary, what what do you think needs to change from a diversity and inclusion is that, or or better representation or upward mobility? What needs to change to make people feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work and feel represented and increase the the, the, the demographics as we, as we speak? What, what do you guys think needs to change? Um, I can hop in. I'm not going to be popular when I say this. Self development. <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> um, just self, self-awareness, whether you are the candidate or the company, or I think we, we have to, we have to be maturing ourselves on multiple fronts here. And I'm still, again, psychology background, what can I say? We have to grow, we have to be aware. And there's, there is a lot of 
There's so much literature. There's so much advice. W one company that I spoke with, they actually had a little handout with examples of what are some of the things to be mindful that you say or don't say. And when you have a look at that, I'm like, I think I might have said that in the past or I would use I would use that terminology. But a lot of people don't think about this. So we have to you know, we have to get the information first and then see, am, am I doing this you know, like in my own behavior? But it's an unpopular opinion because it's it's a lot of work, right? It's all within us. No, but I think it's it's really important, Inga. And I think the other thing that's that's great to do is to try and model it when you're you know in in the environment, you're in the moment. You know, we were talking today about some of the power of allyship and you know people advocating for underrepresented minorities in in a group meeting setting, keeping an eye out for where you may see behaviours that you know aren't necessarily being as inclusive as we'd like. And again, it, it comes from a collective education and a collective consciousness and a willingness to challenge. I think to to really to really move the dial on behaviour. I think like Bronwyn mentioned this earlier as an example about like, if you're in a meeting and, and how do you make uh, somebody there who's in a minority feel comfortable? And I was thinking, well, where would I go to look for information about how to make sure that's done? Um, and it kind of comes back to your point earlier about there's all these disparate groups and there's no kind of coordination. And um, I think you know, some of it is about not having the information available for people to get to. I totally mm -hmm. agree with what you were saying, Inga, that it's then self-development. But if they haven't got access to the materials to actually tell them what they should be doing, then no, we're kind of on to a, a hiding to nothing. Um, there is there is a lot of good articles on LinkedIn. So, you know, we're seeing we're seeing that coming out. But like I said, that that sort of booklet that when you when you see it like this, it makes it very relevant to your everyday. Uh, but of course, you have to read the booklet. So even if the company wants to produce, <laughs> it's always what I said about joining into the events and, re, you know, read the booklet. We have we have an amazing newsletter. So much effort is put into that. And, you know, even cyber is participating. I, I still don't have the statistics how many people are reading. <laughs> but, uh, that's the way. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Fantastic. OK, well, if uh, no other points, we shall uh, leave it there. Um, so this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank Bronwyn, Inga, Moses and Chris for providing their insights on the topic and thank you for listening. If you want to get involved in any of the up and coming podcasts, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or on my emails, robert.wall.evolutionjobs.co.uk and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.